Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 48. I'm Steve Kwan. I'm Matt Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. Matt, it is hard to believe that we are almost at 50 episodes. Yeah. Wow. Like, it feels like... Where does the time go? You know, it wasn't that long ago that we started this show, but I mean, we've almost got 50 hours worth of content there. Like it's going to get to the point where listening to all of BJJ mental models would take you as long as watching all of Game of Thrones. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. <laughs> Except, I actually don't even watch that show. Yeah. You know, our, our mom just got into watching Game of Thrones. I 20 or so years ago before George R.R. R. Martin became this big famous guy, I actually had his first book and I, I read the original Game of Thrones book. And honestly, like I didn't love it. And then when the show got big, I tried watching the first episode and it just wasn't for me. I mean, I don't know. This like super violent stuff doesn't really appeal to me that much. I guess I'm just a big softy, but it I yeah. just it just wasn't for me. But, but for I know, those for those of you out there who love incest, you'll love Game of Thrones. Yeah, if you like decapitation or explicit sex scenes or palace intrigue, Game of Thrones <clears throat> is the thing for you. Yeah, not I, really into it. I wonder if they have any jujitsu scenes in Game of Thrones, because that's the thing now, right? Like every movie and TV show <laughs> has to have some jujitsu scene where they bring on like so, some grappling expert just so that someone on the show can do an armbar or a triangle or something and look all cool. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. I think they just cast a stupid spell or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> I, I think my favorite jujitsu in a movie has, still has to be John Wick, because right. like it's the best. It's one thing to do like a an armbar in a movie, but that's the only movie i've seen where someone like does a bow and arrow choke on someone like with their suit that was awesome i think john wick is the obvious choice for best jujitsu in a movie but let's not forget joseph gordon levitt in inception when he does that uh floating triangle <laughs> in the zero gravity hallway wasn't that a cobra clutch <clears throat> I thought it was a triangle choke, but he didn't have alignment. There was no, no base. No, no, I, I think it was a cobra clutch. I think it was Sergeant Slaughter's finishing move. Like, I think it's the, the head and arm choke that you do face-to-face with the guy. There's know, no way not. Joseph Gordon-Levitt would have the strength to actually do that, especially in zero gravity. Yeah, with no base. But look, this this is all irrelevant because when the new Nicolas Cage jiu-jitsu movie comes out, that is obviously going to be the best jiu-jitsu movie ever made. If you haven't heard of this, look it up. Is that even... Do you think that'll even make it to theaters? Or is that just going to be like... Really least right to home video it's either going to be so bad that they'll put it, it on just, netflix yeah it's either going to be so bad that it just disappears and is forgotten about or it's going to be so unbelievably bad that it becomes kind of a cult hit and maybe that's what they're going for yeah like i don't think it can't become a cult classic especially to the jujitsu community it's the movie we want and deserve well what i want to know is is it japanese jujitsu or brazilian jujitsu <clears throat> that's an important question I want to know if it's gi or no gi. Yeah, what, what rule set are we talking about here? Like, is, is there going to be reaping allowed when he's fighting yeah. these aliens? So it, the, the movie sounds freaking horrible. It, yeah, so <laughs> you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna look this up. I'm going to do you guys... Look that all, shit up, Jamie. Yeah, I'm going to do you guys all a big... Let me get my phone. Hold on a second here. So, Matt, stall for time. This is very important. Stall for time? Yeah, stall for time while I'm looking this up. Uh, oh, God. Uh... Talk about your training or something. Yeah, training was good today. Just did a private and uh, got comp training tomorrow. Uh, maybe guys write in. Let me know for all of you who are in uh, who are instructors and gym owners. Do you have a competition class in your gym schedule? I'd like to know. I've added one recently and uh, it's really helped my guys out in competition. And I feel like when we step on the mats on game day, we have a... Uh, <clears throat> We have like an idea of what we need to all accomplish there and there's more of a direction where we want to go as a team and individually in the matches. So 
Uh, please write in and let us know how you feel about having a competition class in your curriculum. Yeah, actually, we might want to reapproach this. We talked in the past <laughs> about how, um, you know, we had our instructor series and Matt, you had mentioned that we could probably even dig into that and do more content on that vein. We received a lot of positive feedback about the instructor series. Uh, a lot of people found that interesting. But in the last few episodes, you've talked a lot about your strategies for teaching competition in class. And I found that stuff pretty insightful. It, yeah. So write in if you've got any experience or had any success running these types of classes and there's any any suggestions as to what we could cover please do let us know but back to the really important stuff um so first of all <laughs> the reason we're here yeah, first of all the the name jujitsu the way that this movie is spelled is j-i-u space j-i-t-s-u so, so that's the brazilian jiu-jitsu it's the, it's the brazilian spelling of jujitsu, not the japanese but they use the space instead of a hyphen now i don't think that means anything it doesn't make a big difference but normally when you spell brazilian jujitsu, you hyphenate jujitsu. Um, anyway the the description here is um, this is from a, a variety article. Jiu-jitsu centers on an ancient order of expert jiu-jitsu fighters facing fearsome alien invaders in a battle for Earth every six years. Cage's character and his team of jiu-jitsu fighters band together with Moosey's. I don't know who that is. Moosey's played by Gordon Ryan. Yeah, Moosey's <laughs> character to defeat the Brax, and presumably the Brax is this alien race. Um, and presumably this alien race has not invented weaponry yet if jujitsu is effective against them. <laughs> How come the movie title name is Jujitsu? That's the most unoriginal name for a movie it's, that involves aliens and, and yeah. Nicolas Cage it, doing It's the most unoriginal but oddly descriptive movie name yeah. since Speed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have to see it. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I, I think probably among the jujitsu community, it's going to get a hell of a, a lot of viewership. By the way, we've killed almost eight minutes just talking about the stupid movie. Good, because we don't have much else to talk about today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so no, real, real talk, real talk. Uh, today's episode, Matt wanted to talk about stress and recovery. So in previous episodes, Matt had mentioned that going into the holidays here, he's looking to maybe take some time off and give his body time to recover. Um, for those who are listening to this after the fact, uh, it's getting close to the end of 2019 here. So the question really becomes, do, you know, is Matt going to keep training and compete one last time? Or is he going to let his body heal and then have a strong start in 2020? And of course, um, being a non-competitive guy myself, you know, I'm always more on the recovery side of things. I'm always, <laughs> I'm not so much into the stress. I my body is always healing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of downtime. Absolutely, absolutely. So this is actually an important topic because, as we've talked about before. The notion of stress and recovery is a very important mental model in and of itself. And it's not really anything related just to jujitsu. It's important in almost any area of physical or even mental activity. Basically, the, the idea is that your body responds well to peaks and valleys of stress and then time to recover. If you're always stressed, uh, meaning you never have any downtime, then in a physical context, what that means is, of course, your, your body is going to start start um, running on energy reserves. It's going to cannibalize itself. This is going to cause problems if you're trying to do things like put on muscle, right? Like you actually have to let your body recover. Um, but similarly, on the other side, if you're always in recovery mode like I am, then your body actually never gets stressed to the point where it needs to improve and rebuild itself. So if, if for example, your, um, your exercise routine is not intense enough that you're actually testing and, and stretching and, and, you know, real honestly damaging your muscles, you're not going to, to gain muscle mass. I mean, the way that you actually gain muscle mass is it's basically you're causing microscopic tears in your muscle when you like lift weights, right? That's the stress that you're applying. And then when your body recovers, the muscles knit back together and they get stronger than ever. That's why when you lift weights, you're sore afterwards. It's because you've actually like torn your muscles at a microscopic level and then they heal back stronger. So a degree of stress actually makes the body get stronger. And we've talked about this before that learning is basically the same as well. You need to stress your mind and then give it time to recover. Um, you can't always be running at a hundred percent mentally because like, I mean, if, if you've ever worked at a job that expects you to go 100% all the time, then you know what burnout feels like, right? That is a real thing that can happen. Um, I, there was an article that I recently shared on social. There's been some interesting research now where they are estimating, now, now granted, I don't think the research is super conclusive, but they're estimating that like in an ideal world, you want to succeed 
85% of the time and fail 15% of the time. And that's the optimal way to learn. Like there needs to be some resistance in your learning or else that means you're not actually testing yourself. Because if you're trying to learn something and you're succeeding 100% of the time, that yeah. means it's way too easy for you. So you're not actually pushing yourself beyond your limits. Yeah, You have to fail 15% of the time. Sounds like it was written by a bunch of losers to me. <laughs> uh, actually, this is the thing where I think maybe it's um, not entirely clear if it's going, if it's conclusive, but it sounds like they kind of guess at this by using like AI learning models. So I don't know how conclusive yeah. this stuff is, but the idea is that in both uh, physical and mental development, if you don't push yourself outside of your comfort zone mm -hmm. then and then give yourself time to recover afterwards, you're not going to see the maximal benefit. That's really what we're talking about here. Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised uh, that they say, you know, it's it's basically essentially saying that uh, it's good to fail slightly right like yeah in in your search for success especially in jujitsu um you run across so many different well you can call them failures some people say they're learning experiences but essentially you know if you're a competitor you can't win 100 percent of the time at least a very small percentage of people win 100 percent of the time mm -hmm. um and when you do lose it's often looked at as a like a building block or a stepping stone towards a higher level and that's how it's been throughout my uh career you know every time i lose it exposes a hole or a uh like a, a weakness in your game that you now know needs some more attention aspects of your game that need to be worked on can only be exposed through failure like you said if you succeed 100 percent of the time then you don't really see those opportunities like if i go to a class and uh, you know every role that i have with my students i i demolish everyone you know at the end of the day, it's like, well, that's that's great for me if to, to pad my ego, but I also didn't really learn as much. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and then it could be even harder next day if you if you get submitted a few times and it's like, oh, God, how come today I suck? And the other day, you know, so it's, so it's uh, there is ups and downs, but definitely I think it's important to to understand failure is kind of part of the journey. Right. And uh, yeah, it, it needs to be experienced in order to get to the next level. Sometimes like yeah. if I, what well, you know, when you get that next belt promotion and now as a competitor, you're going to be going against higher level belts. Um, that is a stepping stone that comes with its own risks and very likely that you are going to lose some matches. Right. So yeah, it's, it's all part of it. And it's a, it's a healthy way to grow. Just like if you were to be working out and, uh, tearing your muscles in order to gain, that's just sort of part of the process. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, basically as you know, th there's that great quote from Josh Waitskin where he talks about how growth comes past the point of resistance, right? The idea is if you want to grow, you need to push your body just a bit beyond what it is capable of doing. And that's how you actually grow. Um, if you are not pushing yourself to the point where you're being actually challenged then you're always going to be in this mode where you're you kind of plateau right that you're not actually going outside of what you're already good at or capable of doing and this can also give you a lot of false positives because you're not putting yourself in situations that will really challenge or test you yeah. now on the on the, the flip side of that if you over challenge yourself then that is also not beneficial because it not only can it be extremely demoralizing but you also won't necessarily get enough clues as to how to improve like as an example if i am a brown belt and i want to test myself by sparring with a bunch of black belts that makes perfect sense uh, that's a great way to test myself because i i feasibly can hang with these people but it's going to really push me if you are a white belt and you're going in there against black belts who are going 100 with you that's not going to be a great learning experience for you as a white belt unless you're a freak yeah but in, in general <laughs> though i mean these black belts are going to be so far ahead of you that it's going to be like magic what they're doing right you're not going to get any specific learnings out of that because you're not even speaking the same language as these people in order to actually improve and this is why that 15 percent failure rate is important you need to be pushed hard enough that you're forced to learn but not so hard that the resistance is like overwhelming to the point where you don't even know what's happened to you and you're just demoralized yeah exactly and um you know maybe we should just define like rest and recovery yeah so good point the, the way that i understand it is rest is more so uh, you know, you could compare that to like sleep or just, you know, uh, almost a complete lack of physical activity. Like if I'm mm -hmm. going to rest, I'm not going to be doing much physical exertion at all. Whereas recovery could be looked at as, you know, uh, active recovery, like yoga, yeah, yoga or, um, you know, like, uh, 
just any form of stretching, maybe a light run, swimming, uh, light exercises. Like I, I think resistance bands are a really excellent way to to work on stabilizers and things like that. I started sort of started working with them when I had my knee injury, and I've been using them consistently since. And uh, you know that there are there are many ways that you can still gain even if you're not on the mats doing jujitsu. Uh, another, another way is, you know, uh, on my rest days, I don't, I don't have a lot of them anymore because I'm, I'm constantly at the gym, but usually on Saturday, that's my rest day. And I try to fill that day with more mental exercises. Like I'll, uh, watch a lot of footage or, you know, s- study an instructional for an hour or whatever. And even when I'm doing that, I realize that, hey, if I try to cram and I really like if I try and watch multiple hours of footage, my mind just loses interest after an hour. As much as I love jujitsu and as much as I love, you know, studying jujitsu after about an hour, I'm, I'm pretty much done and my brain wants a rest and it wants to do something else. Yeah, it's interesting how even your brain can get overtaxed, too, and can get fatigued. And this is a mistake that a lot of people make. I mean, this is why, you know, as, as a manager, this is why I'm always very careful of making sure that my teams don't try to just completely kill themselves with overtime. You know, it, it's not even uh, like an ethical thing. But if you have people and you're asking them to consistently work like 10, 12, 16 hour days and work weekends, people's performance across the board goes down. It's mm-hmm. like, it's not that you, it's mm-hmm. not a matter of like, oh, well, if I make them work twice as hard, I'm going to get twice the output. It's like, no, you actually start to see significant cognitive decline and burnout as you get people um, working lo- longer than they should. So it's ac- and actually, even within the context of a regular eight hour workday, it's extremely important to make sure that you take breaks, you get up, you walk around, you shuffle up your activities. So you're not just doing the same thing over and over again, because like the mind is, uh, you know, has energy constraints just like anything else. And you can burn out your brain just like you can burn out your body. If you are just sitting there trying to study YouTube videos for like eight hours straight, yeah, eventually you're going to see diminishing returns. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if anyone's studied uh, something called Blueprint for Armageddon by Dan Carlin. It's a six-part series on World War One, And he talks about um, well, extensively talks about World War One and the battles that they had and the introduce, introduction of, of uh, modern trench warfare. And he basically says how um, at first they would just keep the same people at the front lines until they died, basically. And what they noticed is these people would burn out after a few weeks at the front line and then the performance would drastically uh, diminish. So what they started doing was they would actually rotate people up towards the front line. And then after spending a few weeks at the front line, they would actually move them to the back of the line where they could recover, you know, get their mind sort of, well, to the best of their abilities, if they weren't shell-shocked, they, they could get their mind uh, some rest and then gradually work their way back up to the front line again. So they even then, they started discovering how, uh, you know, when you, when you overtax the, the, the mind and body so much, that performance lacks. So yeah. it's finding that balance, especially as like a professional athlete or just, a, you know, someone who's serious about their jiu-jitsu um, you know, studies that you make sure that you do give yourself some sort of rest. I, for a long time, was working a full-time job plus training every day. And uh, it was, you know, eventually I started getting like, my body was starting to react in ways where I would, uh, you know, I'd get like these strange infections and I would actually have to take time off of work because I wasn't getting enough sleep and I was just taxing myself too much physically. Um, doing both careers. So now that I, I just focus on jujitsu, I do train a few extra times a week. I probably train like, you know, 12 times a week, but at the same time, I have more time to sit on the couch or, or, you know, just, just relax and I do get more sleep. So, um, it's kind of an interesting balance. And for all of you people who train, uh, train professionally, you'll know that it's a balance between rest and also making enough time to improve on the mats. And definitely one thing that I've realized that's important is having active recovery, like doing physio. And like I said, you really taking care of your body and doing the prehab that will prevent injuries and and things down the road is so important if you're very serious about uh, jujitsu. I really like how you pointed out the difference between rest and recovery, because that's something that, um, you know, I had never really considered. But the way that I, I kind of interpret what you're saying is that rest is like a very particular type of recovery, but not all recovery involves just doing nothing. Like sometimes, as you mentioned, there's active recovery, right? If you're stretching, if 
you're uh, getting massage therapy, if you're doing physio, if you're doing yoga, these are or all, even meditation. Yeah, like, or even meditation. It could be physical and mental. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these are all forms of recovery. Re- rest, where you're actually doing like nothing, that is super important, but that's not the only type of recovery. And you probably want to vary it up beyond just sitting there on the couch. Yeah, and anyone who's, who's like I said, serious about jujitsu listening to this is probably like, well, I don't do enough resting. Yeah. Because <laughs> I definitely don't do enough resting. Yeah. Like, I, like I said, one day a week, um, I might even book privates on my Saturday, but like the one day a week is kind of the day that I need to not be doing jujitsu. Yeah. I'm totally okay with like watching tape and stuff. Um, but it also gives me a time to reconnect with my family and stuff like that is super important. So it can't just, you know, it's, it's, it's cool to watch these guys like Gordon Ryan who are just like, you know, they train eight hours a day, constantly just working, 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 and they're obsessed with it. But realistically, I think, uh, for the majority of us, we're not all freaks like Gordon Ryan. So it's like, uh, having that balance, at least where you get some rest is, is, uh, you know, pretty necessary. But I mean, if you're if you're at that level, pretty I think pretty much everyone's on PED. So at this point, <laughs> I used to actually shit on people who take uh, steroids and things like that. And then I became a full time jujitsu uh, athlete. And I realized now like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> My body is so sore all the time. Um, I I don't do any PEDs, but like I understand why someone would do that. I just I kind of I kind of laugh when people are like, oh, well, you know, it's all this hard work I'm doing. I got this through hard work and hard work. It's like, yeah, but you got some help too. Like, let's be honest. At least be honest that you got some help. And then I can I can accept that rather than just being like, oh, this is God given. And, you know, if you work hard, you get what you deserve. It's like, yeah, but there, but there's not always a level playing field because if you go to a jiu-jitsu competi- competition, the highest level guys, the guys that are winning divisions are almost always on PEDs. And then there's the guys that come in that try and, you know, that don't want to use PEDs and it's very hard for them to, to get to the top. Yeah. I I like what Oliver Taza said when we were talking to him about this and trying to basically get him to admit that he's on drugs. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I I like when we asked him kind of what his thoughts were on this. And he said, like, the thing about PEDs is that it will basically speed up time. Uh, And I thought that was an interesting way to phrase it, right? Like a lot of, for a lot of competitive athletes, you know, they're not taking PEDs necessarily because they want to be more jacked. They're taking it because it allows them to skip out on recovery time. Mm-hmm. And the the problem, though, and I think Oliver explains this quite eloquently, is that you're basically speeding up time. Like, if you do this, I mean, you might be speeding up recovery time, but you're basically speeding up like your whole career. You know, you might get yeah. to the point where your body is like starting to fail you at like 30 or, or you know, yeah. so, or really bad things can happen to you. I mean, I, again, I've cited this before, but like the most obvious example is like all of the pro wrestlers who used to take this kind of stuff. Uh, Let's uh, be honest. They probably weren't the smartest. No, no, with no, their no. dosage. Of, of course, probably they're just like loading up horse steroids into their, their eyeballs. Right. I mean, yeah. but, but all the same, like it's, it is accelerating your recovery rate, but it's probably also accelerating like a lot of other things. I mean, yeah. it, you know, a lot of these guys who who die really early from steroid use, it's discovered that they've got like massively swollen, enlarged hearts. And I, I think probably if I had to guess, um, I would guess that probably the issue is that like the human body is not meant to grow that fast and that quickly. So you take this kind of supplement and it puts a tremendous amount of strain on your body to try to support that kind of like that kind of growth. So yeah, you might see some short term benefits, but long term, it generally looks like, you know, you might be shortening everything, not just your career, but even your lifespan. Yeah. Like you take a guy like Gordon Ryan, who is a physical, like physically, he's very impressive. Um, if you've ever watched any of his instructionals, you can tell that just after years of working with like Danaher and Gary, like he's, he's, his, uh, he's a very intelligent guy, especially when it comes to jujitsu. You can look through his progression, like from the time he won his last EBI to, I don't know, maybe a, uh, not even a year after he blew up in size, like really must've hit the sauce hard because it was like a, I remember it happened in the span of a few months. He's got such a big frame and, and he's so physically gifted, um, that he's able to put on a lot of muscle and it was just like, boom, right away. It's, and not just his body, but his face changed, you know, his cheeks got huge it's, it's like, okay, well this guy's clearly on the sauce, but uh, at the same time, 
I don't, I, I'm not, uh, you know, I don't, I don't blame him because all the guys at that level are, are juicing and, you know, steroids in, in Brazil are very, it's almost part of the Brazilian jujitsu culture to, to do that. Right. And like I said, I, <laughs> I totally understand that now that I do this for a living because, um, yeah, your body is just, if you want to get to a certain level, you have to put in a certain amount of training and then to do so your body is going to take it tons of wear and tear so i totally get it um you know when when i turn like 40 or 50 i could see myself starting to do something just because i want to roll it uh, late later on into my life and so i think uh you know some people some people use it for recovery some people do it because they want to while they're in their prime they want to get get as strong and as good as they can and get those world championships for me i kind of want to use it at the tail end of my career so i can prolong my jiu-jitsu career yeah well uh, I, you know we've talked about this too how a lot of the time as you get older your style slows down and you adopt more of a pressure-based approach and i think that's probably the survival mechanism that a lot of older guys use is as your your you know your energy uh leaves you behind as you get older it gets to the point where you've got to start accommodating your game for maximal efficiency and that's why i think you see a lot of these older guys who start to adopt a very slow methodical pressure-based approach because that is just is most effective when you're older right it just you get the most output for the the least input mm-hmm yeah, interesting. So uh, maybe we can talk about some specifics in terms of stress and recovery, Matt. Um, what does your kind of schedule look like? Like when you, I mean, in terms of how often you train and how, and I get that there's different like times of the year, right? Sometimes you're ramping up for a tournament. Sometimes you're just basically running the gym. But what does your kind of like workload look like in terms of how much time you spend on the mats, how you manage off time and what, what are kind of the challenges and what are the things you do to recover? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I train twice a day, uh, <clears throat> one session in the morning, one session in the evening, Thursday during the day, I take the morning off, but then I, uh, train again in the evening. Uh, and when I say train in the evening, I teach a kid's class and then I teach a two hour adult class. Then Friday, sometimes I'll train in the morning and sometimes I'll rest. But usually I try and find a session Friday morning. Then on Friday night, it's three hours of training. Saturday is my off day, plus I use it for privates and family time. And then Sunday we have competition class, usually followed up by another. Sometimes I'll do a double header. I'll head to Ascension and train for 45 minutes to an hour after as well. So got it, got it. getting getting like three, three and a half hours of training on Sunday. Got it. So, you and know, so there's, there's different types of training too, right? Like my understanding is in your schedule, when you're training in the evenings, that's basically you teaching your class. So that's there's, right. there's going to be a combination of instruction plus actual rolling, but that's you might right. only be spending like 20 to 30% of the time actually sparring. Whereas in the mornings, you're probably doing like full sparring sessions, right? That's right. Uh, um, the morning I'm, I'm definitely sparring sparring more and in well not more it's just I spend more time during class sparring in the evening it's about an hour instruction and, a, and about an hour teaching uh Got sorry it. an hour uh sparring Got and then you know around these times I have to find time to do uh the the recovery portion of it so stretching uh like I said physio and I'm trying to incorporate more strength and conditioning and and uh weights but it's just I just haven't had a lot of uh, it's time, right? It's time at this point. Uh, you know, I've got a almost a three-year-old daughter and a, a, a son who's about five months old now. So it's like, it's kind of, it's, it's tricky. You know, it, yeah. it's, you're juggling a lot of the time. Plus you got to get a lot of errands done at home and things like that. So I do, I definitely try and work out when I can. Uh, I need to do it more for sure. But right now I'm just definitely focusing on my jujitsu and yeah yeah a big part of you know business. i remember when i was younger and i discovered jujitsu i think i kind of went through the phase that everyone does where i just tried to be on the mats as much as possible yeah you, you know burn I, out pretty fast yeah and i'd be you know i'd be some days i'd be training like literally like 14 hours a week which for a casual person is a lot <laughs> right uh, this is for a person who doesn't even compete but just a person who does it casually but as you get older i mean it's not even a matter of like losing physical prowess it's just the realities of life change your priorities right That's when true as you take on more responsibilities at work and you get married and you have kids and you have to start worrying about adulting basically right you have a lot less time for recreational stuff so now with jujitsu i have to kind of pick my punches i mean I, i'm 
lucky if I can get in like four sessions a week, which is still pretty good for a guy who doesn't compete. Um, and that seems to be a pretty good number for me. But yeah, you've got a you have a lot of the time very limited time. And even if in your case, jujitsu is your professional career, time is still a, a finite resource. You know, we've talked in the past about fear of time, how, you know, you can get so anxious about how little time you have to do everything you want to do that it actually becomes like something that can give you anxiety. And I I think especially in this day and age, we all feel that way. And it's it's easy to feel like recovery is wasted time. It's easy to feel like, oh, I got so much to do. I don't have time to take a rest. Well, the problem is that's likely going to do more damage at the end of the day than you expect. Um, and there's different types of rest too, right? Maybe we could actually talk about this. I mean, one of the most overlooked but important types of rest is actually just getting sleep and getting good sleep. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I know, especially when you're younger, it's like, you often don't sleep a lot and sometimes you even look at it as a badge of pride if you're not sleeping a lot i mean i certainly used to uh i remember when i first uh, was like you know in, in university and going off to do my career i was just like throwing all of my time into work that i possibly could and barely sleeping at all and then when i started doing jujitsu i would just never take time off um but eventually though you do like i'm not even gonna get into it because i'm not a biologist but like look it up <laughs> there's there's a lot of science that tells you that we need to sleep and we need to sleep like eight ish hours uh, a day. If you don't do that, bad things are going to happen to you. Um, now, I know that that's hard to do, but you definitely want to maximize your sleep. And that's not that's not an area where you want to take shortcuts, even though it, it's man, it can feel so easy to do that sometimes. But really, really important to get to bed at a reasonable time and get up uh, relatively early. Yeah. Or, or even what I do, because I, I usually have a kid waking me up at least once, if not twice during the night and then cutting my sheep, uh, cutting my sheep, cutting my sleep short in, in the, in the morning. What the hell do you guys do at home, man? <laughs> You're uh, supposed to count them, not yeah. cut them. Uh, um, is having naps, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny because <laughs> I, I, I'm a big fan of naps. I take a lot of naps. Like, like if I can, after morning training, I'll try and take a nap. Um, and it's difficult, again, managing it with the kids. Like, you have to preoccupy them in a safe way while you're taking a nap. Yeah. Uh, and, and you got to be responsible how you do that. But um, I find sometimes, like, if I take too long of a nap, it's actually negative yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah, Th This is actually a known thing. Yeah. So the uh, optimal... I, I mean, I'm sorry, guys. I'm going to go from memory here. I can't promise this is right. My best advice here is actually look up some resources on this but i believe that when it, when you want to take a nap and naps are good for you but the suggested time window is like 20 to 30 minutes because yeah. if you go below but beyond that as tempting as it is to have like a one or a two or even a three hour nap sometimes um it puts you into kind of like rem sleep mode and it makes means that when you wake up you're going to be foggy and it's going to really screw up your sleep schedule but like a 20 to 30 minute nap here or there is actually pretty good for you so yeah i find anytime i nap under an hour i actually feel more energized when i wake up than if i take a really deep sleep nap like sometimes sometimes like you said it'll be so tempting if i have the ability to do it i'll sleep for like two hours and then i wake up i feel like i don't want to train i'm just groggy right and it takes you it kind of takes you the same amount of time to wake up again and get going so yeah yeah, yeah. um but it, it definitely does help i find it does refresh my mind if i keep my naps uh pretty minimal um yeah and and then just uh, now, now that I'm not cooking anymore, I realize how important sleep actually is for, you know, re remem remembering things and uh, information retention and just it uh, makes a overall massive, wellness. Oh man, it makes a massive difference. Like especially as you get older and you have experience, you kind of like I can feel the difference between like seven hours of sleep and eight hours of sleep. If I start to cheap out on sleep, it causes me massive problems during the day. Um, and you know, <laughs> there's not enough coffee in the world to keep you going when you're running on a, a low sleep schedule. And yes, that's hard when, you know, especially in our case, you've got a young kid, but man, it's, you definitely want to get your sleep It's I cannot underscore how important it is to make sure you get enough sleep. Um, I guess another type of recovery, you know, we talked about like low impact exercises that you can do for your body. Um, stretching and yoga are awesome, awesome forms of recovery. I highly recommend it for everyone. Um, I I love stretching, but honestly, it's it's uncomfortable and I don't do it nearly as much yeah. as I should. I'm, I'm it's harder than training, I find. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm lucky to be 
lucky enough to be pretty flexible, but I've been trying to add stretching back in, especially for my legs, because I mean, doing jujitsu, so much of the power comes from your legs and your core. And so like my waist down is always like super, super sore, especially like my hamstrings and my calves, just from trying to basically murder people with my legs. Um, but yeah, I, I flexibility there. Not only is it important from an injury prevention, but it, it feels to me at least like it really kind of like helps you recover and deal with just muscle fatigue. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, if you have a lot of aches and pains, like uh, I do, you might want to consider also dietary changes because, yes. um, I know Steve, you were cutting out carbs for a while, but I know you're sort of cheating. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm the same sort of way. Actually, I've experimented a lot with my diet. I cut out a bunch of things, um, just cause I was having a bunch of issues. Uh, like I cut out, I tried experimenting with cutting out dairy, cutting out white carbs, cutting out sugar, cutting out alcohol. Um, I've added some of those things back in because for me personally, they didn't make a big difference. It's the thing about diet and like, and how your gut works is that it's, we're just now starting to understand how important like gut physiology is, but we don't quite understand how it works yet. This is like a very, very new area of science where they're, they're realizing like, holy moly, like the stuff that happens in your gut and, um, like your inflammatory responses can dramatically change your quality of life and what's wrong with you and what's right with you, um, to, in ways that you would not even expect. But this is a very new area of science and it's, inconclusive at this point um but the other thing too is everyone's body seems to be somewhat different right like some mm-hmm, people absolutely uh christy my wife she swears that when she has dairy in her diet it totally screws her up but not everyone has that yeah. some people it's not a problem i mean yeah. i i cut out dairy um i'm not sure actually if it makes a big difference for me but I, I cut it out and i feel fine now um i've experimented with like adding and removing like sugar and alcohol and stuff uh, generally speaking though um the less like direct sugars you take in the better you know, you want to minimize yeah. your white carbs. You want to minimize your actual sugar intake. Um, that's probably going to be important for literally almost everybody. For things like dairy, uh, your mileage may vary. For things like carbs, some some people, um, you know, claim to have a, a really negative reaction to things like even, you know, types of bread. But again, it's the only real way to know for yourself is to try doing like an elimination diet where you basically remove anything remotely controversial from your diet and then slowly add things back in and just see how you feel. I, I really suggest that everyone try that at least one point in in your life because you might find that it's like man i cut out this weird type of food and suddenly my energy level was way way better or you know it can make a big difference to you yeah i've i've cut out carbs and dairy before uh if i have to make like 160 or anything lower than 160 i basically have to intermittently fast and i have to take out uh, bread and dairy and things like that. It is not a fun existence because I love those foods. Yeah. But um, what is your thought, by the way, on intermittent fasting? Because you and I have talked about this quite a bit. Uh, you know, it, like I said, if you if you need to, like, if I need to get under one sixty, I have to do it. Um, I think it works great, and I think the energy levels are great. You and I also feel that I'm more alert when I do it. But like I said, it's not a fun existence because I love to eat. I love yeah. to eat at all times of the day, (laughs) which is basically what you shouldn't do if you're trying to intermittently fast. Right. So, but there's definitely a science to it. Um, I think that it, it is, it is valid, but like I said, it's not the most fun. Um, I, I always find like I can eat carbs and dairy without, um, a, a huge difference in my energy level and, and, uh, inflammation, but it's the, it's the sugars, like, you know, mm-hmm. the Halloween candies and things like that. Oh God. After Halloween, both you and I were complaining about how, yeah. like, I just felt like garbage the day yeah. after because we, um, uh, I mean, Matt and I both have two year old daughters. And so we went out trick or treating and neither of us really wanted to leave our baby with like eight pounds of candy. I mean, it was actually ridiculous how much candy we collected. Uh, for whatever reason, the there wasn't, I guess, like a, a lot of kids out trick-or-treating this year. I, I think now they're all moving to like the malls and they're doing trick-or-treating in the malls, which yep. sounds so lame to which me. Which is sad. It sounds kind of pathetic to me. But anyway, so we went around and I guess all of these people had like tons and tons of excess candy to give out. So they were just like loading up my daughter's basket and I didn't want her to eat it. So, you know, being the, the to, I made the, the very, very noble sacrifice of eating basically like 90% of my daughter's Halloween yeah. candy. And I felt like crap. Like I, like I had like a sugar headache. I've never even had that before, but man, I felt like absolute garbage afterwards. Yeah. I find that, uh, the sugars, like, like pure sugars, like re- refined sugar, not like not whole wheat bread, not brown rice. Like, you know, I would cut those things out if I had to really make a low weight, 
but day-to-day life they're pretty much part of my diet um but the the sugars themselves like the treats and definitely alcohol i feel that in my joints more than anything so like when i if i have like a huge sugar binge day the next day usually i feel a little bit different my ha- my hands feel really sore that's the, i notice it a lot in my hands that's where i seem to notice like inflammation uh because i deal with some arthritis in my knuckles just from grappling and cooking and whatnot so that's where I'll actually notice a difference. Um, but definitely your, my energy level will be lower if I'm pumping my body full of like sugar. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's such an inflammatory food. I'm, I'm basically like... So the, good though. I'm the control group there. As someone who eats a lot, probably a lot more garbage than you do, I, I definitely understand. Uh, uh, by the way, we should probably clarify because we talked about intermittent fasting. For those who haven't heard of it, basically that's where you pick like a portion of the day, usually like... 10 p.m. to like noon or something where you basically don't eat you can have like fluids that don't have a lot of calories like water but you basically don't eat and so you kind of defer your meals to a certain window within the day yeah usually i think the standard is like an eight hour window although i know some people who do like six hour windows so it's kind of annoying because you want to eat as much as you can within that window but if you're training you can't be going to training while you're stuffed yeah and uh well you, know, you can for you but can't, yeah. it might it might get very awkward and weird it'll I mean, suck yeah um and and also like you want to stuff yourself and um after your first meal because your stomach will naturally shrink if you're just putting less matter into it uh you'll you'll have less capacity to pack food away right so you can do it a few different ways i though i've tried i've i've played around with the time slots as to when i was intermittent fasting and i found that it was ultimately better if i was able to hold off until 1 or 2 p.m so that's the hard thing like you wake up and you want to eat but you can't eat until 1 or 2 and then you have that eight hour window. So usually what it would look like is I would have a big meal around one or two and then I'd be full for hours. I'd have to go to training without eating, maybe have a light snack before training. And then when I get home, I'd have another meal and then wake up and not eat again till one or two. I've And I've also done it where you wake up, have breakfast and eat throughout the day, but then you can't eat when you get home, which yeah. is... Which I find is, that a lot harder. I find that a lot harder, too, because my body really wants to eat after training. Yeah, yeah. Um, and probably you should, honestly. Like, you probably should as well. Like, that's kind of when your body is craving protein. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of all depends. It kind of all depends uh, person to person, I think, and what what works for you. But, I, man, like, those first few hours of the day when you're not allowed to eat, sometimes they go by really slow. <laughs> Interesting. See, I, I think it's cool that you bring that up because for me... I'm kind of the opposite. I'm not really a breakfast person. I intermittent fast almost every day. I normally don't eat anything until lunch and it doesn't bother me at all. I actually like it that way, but your mileage may vary, right? Everybody's different. Everybody's different. Um, and I find like when you're training twice a day, like, man, it's hard to, it's hard to not take in like a certain amount of food when you're always hungry. Uh, but if you do have to make a certain weight, there is, um, you know, it it takes a discipline. It takes a certain discipline to be a competitor. And that's that's one of the things is, you you know, you kind of have to starve a little bit to make certain weight classes. Mm-hmm. And I find that once I like it, it's kind of shitty to get my mind into that stage. But once I get there and I, I, I'm in the groove and I have that goal in mind, it makes it a lot easier, you know, after the first few days and then you're in the groove and you know, your body kind of adapts to it. So got it. Got it. What other types of I mean, we've talked uh, quite a bit about sleep and diet here. Um, I guess another topic in terms of recovery are like supplements, the, the non-performance enhancing type. Um, yeah. Well, technically, I guess they do. I, I guess they do, but like they're not like PEDs in the in the traditional sense. Um, that yeah, supplements are. You know, this is actually something I've I've learned relatively recently, mostly thanks due to my wife who's a biologist. But uh, a lot of the stuff you hear about like the things you should or shouldn't do for your own physical fitness, a lot of it is just like fake science and there's actually nothing behind it. And one of the examples where this is especially true is supplements. You know, you there's so much marketing about, oh, take vitamin C for this or take whatever for that. The reality is that most supplements at best they do nothing. They just, you kind of like pee them out. And at worst, they can actually harm your body, especially your liver. Like there were, well, they're made of old Chinese newspapers. (laughs) Well, they they might be. Um, but like, you know, vitamin C, for example, like why we were always taught the vitamin C will like cure colds and stuff that is apparently like 99% BS. It won't. And even if you take supplements in that form, you know, your body is not used to taking 
incredibly highly concentrated doses of this stuff. It's used to getting a little bit out of it, out of like fruits and vegetables and stuff. So yeah. if you try and take a pill that has like a hyper condensed type of, you know, all of this stuff, your body's probably just going to pee out most of it because it doesn't need it. And that can actually be extremely damaging and taxing to your, your liver. And it might even be things that you think are like, uh, quote unquote, natural and healthy. Like, don't make the mistake of thinking that just because something is natural, that that means it's fine. I, there was a, you know, I think everyone's probably seen you can take like green tea extract and the the logic is well green tea is so healthy for you why don't we just take like ground up green tea in super isolated pill form where it's like the dose is like a hundred times stronger turns out if you do that it's going to basically murder your liver like which is funny because you drink green tea and it's good for you uh, but you take a green tea pill and it'll like screw your liver Mm -hmm. up so and what's interesting is like green buying green tea extract is still legal even though it is known that it's actually incredibly bad for you i would expect it in the next year or two they're probably going to start banning it so interesting uh and the reality is that most supplements uh you know, find, find good objective science before you take supplements, because most of them probably don't actually do that much for you. I mean, if you're taking something like an omega supplement, which is basically just like healthy fats, that's probably good for you. Even some other things here and there are probably, uh, you know, they, they might be beneficial, but if you're taking things like vitamin pills, the, unless you actually have a known deficiency, the, the, the benefit you're going to get out of those is probably less than advertised. Yeah, I don't take any like vitamin supplements. I have taken fish oil and glucosamine. That's what I take as as I get old, like fish oil or or any type of like omega oil is that's probably going to be a good idea. But Um, I I eat so much fish and eggs that I feel like I'm already getting that. Like, I, I don't know if I need to be spending money on actual vitamins. Yeah, I, you know, I take them as a supplement. I, I will say this. I'm, I'm pretty paranoid about trying to, you know, m- maximize my health and avoid injury because I'm usually the small, weak guy getting ragdolled by people. Yeah. So... You take glucosamine? I take glucosamine as well. I honestly haven't done enough research into it to know if it really, really works. Does it but help? I, but I do take it. I'll say this. I don't have any... I mean, this is completely... unrelated i can't make any corollary proof um i don't have any joint problems but granted i didn't have any joint problems before either it's not Mm -hmm. like glucosamine fixed anything for me i just started taking it because i thought that it might help but again like i said i have no evidence one way or the other that it actually does anything yeah Um, i've been told that you need to take it for like a few months before you see a yeah 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 before you notice a difference i i stopped taking it altogether. i I, I, I am self, uh, sponsored by S&C Supplements and Pitt Meadows. And before, I wasn't really a supplement guy for years. I actually shit, I shit on supplements mm-hmm. a lot. Like I was just like, ah, it's kind of a placebo or whatever. Um, I will like, so, so sometimes I take creatine. Uh, I do notice that when I take it, um, I get more bloated. So like it'll instantly add a few pounds of muscle because it's filled up with water, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to make like a lower weight class, I can't be taking creatine. But I do find that, um, you know, if you're lifting weights, it gives you that extra that extra strength to be able to do a few extra reps or to do a little bit higher of a weight. That being said, I don't know if it's actually better for jujitsu. Um, so I don't always take it. And I don't like, if you read the instructions, it tells you to go through a, a period where you're loading yourself with creatine taking something like four or five scoops a day. This sounds like, like a really terrible idea. Yeah, so I don't, I don't do that. More is not always better, guys. Like, no. just because something is good does not mean that if you take it in like eight times the dose, it's better. It's actually, yeah. that's actually usually a red flag that you're going to hurt yourself. Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't overdo it at all. Um, I do, I'll take a scoop of protein after class. Um, do I notice if it makes a difference? Uh, it makes a little bit of a difference. I don't, I don't think it's like a, a game changer. I, th- I think if you have the proper nutrition, you could probably get just as much out of, of good nutrition. Um, and then I take BCAAs during training. So just like, it's basically like, a. <laughs> You know, it's it's flavored like iced tea and you t- drink it as if you would water. But there's a lot of people that have talked to me about it and they'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, the, the science behind that is not really there. And I don't know. I, I to be honest, I'm pretty ignorant on the t- on the topic, but I, f- I find that, uh, you know, using protein after class is pretty good, especially it depends on your goal too. like if you wanted to, you know, gain muscle 
protein and creatine and things like that are probably good yeah. good things to take but in and it depends on your your diet yeah. too right like if you're not getting protein i mean the reality is and again forgive my ignorance here because i i have no research to back this up i would assume that taking uh like protein powder is probably not as easily absorbed or beneficial as like getting protein from real food i would assume but that said if for some dietary restriction you you are not getting the protein you need i mean my guess is you're probably better off getting it from somewhere and so you probably need to start looking into things like the powder i know that especially people who are on like vegan diets this is always a battle for them because if you cut out like meat and you cut out dairy products then you're not left with that many other natural sources of protein so that's when you have to start looking into supplements and stuff like that Mm -hmm. yeah so i mean you can play around with supplements but i mean nothing is going to compare to like steroids (laughs) the performance enhancement that you're going to get for things from things like that are going to be you know far beyond I think any supplement that you can take. So yeah, I don't know. I am not endorsing steroids. Yeah, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Like I, I understand it, right? Like it's a lot. I understand the mindset of like, Hey, look, if this is your job and you have a major tournament coming up and you've been preparing for so long and then like a week out, you get injured. And this thing is the only thing that's going to allow you to actually get there. I, even though it's illegal and, and unethical and you're cheating, I understand what could drive people to make that decision. Like, for example, if I like if somehow I suffered some sort of injury at work that prevent I mean, I work a desk job, so don't know what it would be. But if something happened where I were not able to do my job to my best and there were some pill that I could take that would help me and that pill were illegal, like, man, I I couldn't. They would be hard to fault someone in that situation for wanting to take that drug. But yeah, I mean, the thing about steroids, though, is you do have to be mindful of the long term impact on your body, right? The the issue with anything that is kind of like black market like this is usually that means you're not taking it in a way that is medically sound. Um, It would be one thing if you had a doctor who were helping you take it for like therapeutic reasons. I know that sometimes they do prescribe it for certain types of injury rehab. That's one thing. But man, if you're just like doing it on your own... Uh, not advisable let's be honest a lot of these guys aren't taking them because of an injury yeah right? there, there's a lot of people who are taking it because they're there it's a, it's part of a plan to get a competitive edge and that's that's kind of a different yeah. thing to me now i'll say this like uh after having like a few recent knee injuries i definitely you know i see very possibly in the future that i could blow my knee out or suffer some horrible injury and if i ever needed like an acl replacement and i'm going to be on the shelf for like nine months i'm probably going to start taking something because well, in that case your doctor might actually prescribe it to you right because i again yeah. again this is me just being totally ignorant so i don't know if this is true but i i do know that in some cases doctors do prescribe like steroids as part of a rehab program if something if you mm-hmm. have so- certain types of injuries so for a really bad surgery i mean maybe they would actually even request that you do that yeah and i'll be like yes please (laughs) (laughs) maybe this is going to be one of those things like uh like testosterone replacement therapy where suddenly everyone needs it for medical reasons god that was such a joke in the ufc back when that was a thing that you could do so i i'd just like to say that uh usada trying to clean up the ufc ruined the ufc to me it made it way worse it ruined vitor belfort if nothing else (laughs) probably saved a lot of other people's lives because he's not in there kicking them in the head anymore i think he's huge again isn't he fighting for one fc or he's fighting for some other promotion you know what i actually need to look into this because if he's suddenly gotten giant again then i think that basically tells you everything you need to know he's back to cheetor belfort (laughs) Um, but yeah like i i actually liked mma back when everyone was saucing and I, think, I liked MMA back when everyone was terrible at it. That was, I think, that the was the best. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was the best when it was actually individual styles. Yeah. And then, damn, everyone had to get good, and <laughs> you know? get good at everything. <laughs> it's funny. It reminds me of that. Um, what was the episode we did recently where we were talking about frugality and how, like, once everyone starts getting good, then everyone gets really defensive and it's just not fun to watch anymore. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Uh, so in terms of other types of recovery, I mean, are, do you do yoga anymore? I know that you've dabbled in it. Um, is that something you still actively do? Uh, I just, I stretch, but I don't do the actual like poses. I, I should though, because there's, you know, I've done, I've done yoga like 
not super extensively, but I have, I am kind of experienced in it. I've, I, you know, I've spent like a good year doing it and I've done just stretching and there is definitely something about the transitions of the poses that really help work stabilizers that you won't get in, in stretching. So it is, you know, it's easy to say that, oh, I don't do yoga, but I do stretching. They're actually very different things. Like I almost think that yoga is a form of, uh, like, like I said, it, it works your stabilizers. It's almost like a, it's almost like a prehab thing when you're going through those poses, because you're really trying to, it's a mental thing too, because it's, it's, it's not easy, you know, holding a pose like that for a minute. It's actually it's, really hard. And the, the whole goal, I guess, is to like, you're, you're kind of meditating while you do it, but it's a struggle and you're trying to make your movements as smooth and as, and as clean as possible. Like it's really challenging. And then if you add like uh like a hot yoga aspect to it, it's really challenging. So it's definitely not the same thing. I just, you know, I, first of all, I got those kids running around, so it's hard for me to do it at home. And it's also hard to make time to actually go to a yoga club and do it. So, yeah. uh, it's, it's not something that I, I do too often, but it's definitely, I think a really valuable thing. Uh, yeah, I think I'm, it's really good for your body and your ligaments and stuff. I'm, I'm definitely pro yoga. I mean, I, I don't formally do it or anything, but I mean, I, I love the idea of it. I know a lot of people who are really big into it and there's obviously this well-known crossover between like bjj and and yoga where a lot of people kind of do them both together yeah i yoga for bjj yeah i think that one of the things about yoga that i like is it also does have kind of like the mental recovery aspect built in i mean meditation is no joke like there is actual serious science behind the benefits of meditation and you're not going to see that with a lot of things like a lot a lot of so-called recovery uh, exercises there's actually not a lot of like hard 100 evidence behind it that it works but like there is a staggering amount of information out there that shows that meditation actually does work and it's not some spiritual thing like it's actually just like it, it trains your mind to relax and recover and it's it's a super valuable technique um not not just for being able to relax yourself but also for being able to kind of develop a sense of awareness and mindfulness um highly recommend everyone give that that, that a go like it's it's also something that it's you know you might not have time to to nap <laughs> during the day but you can definitely spare a few minutes to just kind of silently sit by yourself so definitely something that i would suggest everyone give a shot to yeah i think as a competitor one of the biggest things that i try and do uh, when I have like 20 minutes is uh, like visualize and, you know, sort of I imagine what it's going to be like there in the, in a competition, what my game plan is going to be, you know, if something goes wrong, what am I going to do? What are the, you know, what are the predictable reactions that can happen and, and sort of just visualize what, what can happen in a match. And it's, it's no different. Like the visualization aspect really will give you, uh, it'll give you a perspective that'll help you sort of relax, but at the same time, prepare your mind. Um, and meditation is a lot like that too. So just, just to be alone in a quiet place with your own thoughts and just, I don't know, essentially like one of, one of the really important things I think that now that I have, uh, I don't work two jobs anymore is I realize that I'm able to just be bored again mm -hmm. and just being able to enjoy being bored is like such an important thing for my mind and my, phys uh, my mental well-being because, I think we kind of crave that and just to always be busy all the time and, and never have any free time to just sit and relax and have your own thoughts is uh, I found it to be pretty detrimental and pretty exhausting. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I hated being bored. I just wanted something to always be going on. But now, man, like the idea of a perfect day for me is like an hour of just sitting by myself and doing nothing, like not even watching TV or reading a book, just doing nothing at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Boredom. Boredom is great. I also I also see uh, like adults these days. A lot of them are putting kids in so many activities that these kids never have time to just chill, you know, mm -hmm. and they're forced to do like a dozen different sports and activities. Um, I think it's really important for kids to be able to be bored too and just have like free play time, mm -hmm. right? Big yeah, part definitely. of their development so that they have time to think and use their imaginations and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, we live in a society now of constant never ending stimulation. And I think that kind of, you know, there, there's a lot of benefits to solitude and quiet and just time to think and be with your own thoughts. And I worry now that, you know, we kind of, we've moved away from that. And I mean, yeah, there's all of these benefits to having basically the whole world in your pocket now, but there's downsides to that too. So yeah, I mean, you want to put your kid in activities and stuff, but you also need time to let your kid just be a kid and, yeah. and relax and, and learn how to just be bored. It's a very important skill to have. Mm-hmm. 
Cool. Anything else you want to add, Matt? No, I don't. Okay, cool. So today we talked about stress and recovery. Um, Very, very important both for your body and for your mind. You need to constantly be pushing your body beyond your limits, but then making sure that you also give your body time to recover. That's really how you grow. Um, We also talked about growth from discomfort. You know, it's in order to grow, you need to push your body outside of its comfort zone. That's where the stress aspect in stress and recovery comes from. If you're never pushing yourself beyond your limits and your comfort zone, you're not going to experience growth. And this is not just a physical thing. It also implies to your mind and your ability to learn as well. So Matt, got a question. Shoot. Cool. And uh, you know, I love it when we actually get a question that's topical to the episode that we're discussing. So the question here for today, I'm mid forties and have been training some type of combat sports two to three times a week over the last five to six years. Here's the kicker. Never really focused on a single discipline and never done any competition. Sparring at various clubs and with different people, but only for fun. I've actually met a lot of people who train the same way. Doing MMA, boxing, submission wrestling, kickboxing, freestyle wrestling, etc. I know if I just stuck to one, I'd be very good at it, but like the others in this category, I find too much joy in switching things up and having fun. What I do start to feel is the inevitable wear and tear after training with the younger generation. Maybe some suggestions on how to prepare for those injuries that are guaranteed to happen. So... The way that I interpret this, I mean, this is basically a guy who's kind of like a, sounds like he's sort of like sampling a lot of different martial arts. That is not necessarily a bad thing. And we've talked in the past about how uh, interleaving is actually a very valuable learning strategy. I mean, of course, you you know, if you're only sampling at jujitsu, like here and there occasionally, yeah, you're probably never going to become amazing at it. But getting valuable experience with other martial arts is only going to help you. I mean, there is a lot to learn from those other arts and it's probably going to benefit you, especially if you're trying other grappling styles, like you're doing MMA or submission wrestling or freestyle wrestling, 100% that's going to benefit your jujitsu. So yeah, look up interleaving. That is a very valuable learning tool. Um, in terms of wear and tear and injuries, I mean, my best, <laughs> the best advice is just rewind this episode to the beginning and listen again <laughs> yeah. and start doing some steroids. Uh, um, I don't know. That's a tough one. I think that when it comes to injuries, the, the best, um, strategy is prevention. You know, if you can adopt your style to reduce risk to yourself, this kind of comes back to frugality, which we talked about earlier. Um, you don't want to do things where you're sticking your arms and legs out and leaving them unsupervised. Um, that's actually where a lot of injuries come from is like, if you're not, if you're not being frugal with your, your arm and your leg and your neck placement, like you're leaving your leg dangling, then that's going to probably result in something getting injured at some point. Whereas if you're very good about always keeping coiled, like not, not extending your arm or your leg, unless you're doing it strategically, um, it's going to be hard to get injured if you're never leaving a limb behind you. So I, I find, for example, I'm usually pretty good about staying safe just because I don't try to extend my arms or legs and let my opponent grab onto them. Um, also making sure of course, that when you, someone does get a grip on you, you probably don't want to try to superman or spin your way out of it unless you know exactly what you're doing um that would be my other advice yeah and if you're i think his question specifically pertained to young people like trying to keep up with the young kids after is that what it said uh he did mention that at some point uh let's see here um yeah, inevitable wear and tear after training with the younger generation. So that that's another good point, too. Yes. You know, when you're training with younger people or, or even people who are just bigger and stronger and faster than you. Don't try to match their attributes. Yeah, we, we've talked about that before. <laughs> Be like, realistic. Yeah, don't don't fall for the kind of physiological instinct to match strength with strength and match speed with speed. A lot of the time against someone who is physically superior, the best strategy is to try to slow things down. Um, if you try to match athleticism with athleticism, you're probably going to get hurt. Uh, that's actually where a lot of injuries come up is one person is going total beast mode and the other person just without thinking they get flustered. And so then they respond with beast mode and then someone gets hurt. Um, in jujitsu, it's so easy to adopt a strategy of like basically boa constricting the guy and slowing them down especially in the gi Uh, that is my preferred way of dealing with someone who is younger and faster uh, especially wrestlers is just to slow them down and frustrate them and not give them an opening yeah if you can if you can learn to like win grip battles get dominant angles win lever battles uh break their alignment things like this you're gonna have a way better chance of slowing down your partner immobilizing them and de-escalating a like a really aggressive partner uh 
uh, also realize that you know investing in loss which is something we've talked about a lot before is is a, a very valuable part of training too so if you're going against these young guys that are able to physically dominate you and they're getting the better of you in the roles um instead of thinking about like oh i need to get stronger i need to get faster that you you may never reach those attributes which allow you to defeat these certain opponents so instead of doing that um i would start thinking about where are they defeating you you know are they passing your guard um and then you know they're in a position where you don't have frames and then that's where you're losing or are they managing to always take your back uh, you know, where, where exactly is your game plan falling apart? Because once you can, once you can, uh, assess that, then you'll have a better chance of, of creating a strategy. Maybe your strategy is winning the grip battles. Maybe your strategy is just, uh, practicing your guard retention movements, things like that. Uh, those type of, of mental, uh, changes can defeat someone who's very physically dominant in nature. So, uh, I just, I, I would just not, uh, you know, if you're trying to keep up with the young generation, I don't know if that's the, uh, you know, I know, I know that's probably used in a vague manner, but physically trying to keep up with them as in matching their attributes is probably not where you want to go. Yeah. It's the principle of asymmetric warfare, right? You don't want to attack someone where they're strong and you're weak. You want to attack someone where they're weak and you're strong. So it comes down to figuring out what aspects of your game can you be superior at and can you attack there? Like, I mean, yeah. and, and that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, something physical. It can be a particular technique or, or strategy or position that you're just really good at or as we've mentioned, like in the context of competition, even a superior understanding of the rule set can be a massive asymmetric advantage that can allow you to beat someone who is otherwise physically and, or, and even technically superior to you, right? There's always going to be something that you can be good at. I mean, I know a guy that I train with who like he just has an incredible collar drag. And that alone, like if he can pull that off out of nowhere, he can he can take out like a lot of guys who otherwise should be able to beat him in the standup just because he's so good at this freaking collar drag. He can basically like force someone headfirst right down onto the floor. He's just incredible at it. And everyone has something that they're going to be really, really good at. So make sure that you're playing to your strengths and not the strengths of the other guy. Mm-hmm. Cool. Plugs? Shameless plugs. Shameless plugs. BJJ Mental Models store. What is it? www.bjjmentalmodels.store. bjjmentalmodels.com slash store. We've got patches and we've got uh, t-shirts. Something to clarify because I think there was some confusion. Uh, these get shipped separately. The the gi patches, that we'll ship them for free anywhere. Um, doesn't matter if you're international or not. Uh, the shirts, those are managed um, by a company and they do charge a shipping fee, but it's, it's like it's not crazy. It's like, I think it's like a few bucks. So anyway, anything that you buy both patches and shirts it supports us helps us cover costs for the show so we really appreciate all of the support that you give us if you want to learn more you can go to bjjmentalmodels.com join this is where you can sign up for our mailing list and we share a lot more information there than we do on the podcast we also have a database of all of the concepts that we talk about here just from bjjmentalmodels.com that's kind of home base for us and if you want to get in contact with us or ask us any questions you can get a hold of us on facebook and on instagram we love to hear from you there uh, we like the show to be as interactive as possible so please your your feedback does help us make a better show so any questions comments or suggestions we got we would definitely love to hear from you very cool hope you guys enjoyed the chat yep thanks again take care guys Bye.